Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hi, I'm Gail. Hi, I'm Catherine, and we are the active voice of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Our mission is to showcase vital women between the ages of 70 to 100 plus who shatter the myth that we become irrelevant as we age. These women lead fulfilling lives for themselves and others. Visit our website, womenover70.com, where you can access all the episodes. We also invite you to join our monthly podcast club, and we welcome speaking to your organization or group on Aging Reimagined. If, a, if women aging is a market you would like to reach, consider sponsoring an episode. And finally, if you are an author with a book about women, check out our book promotion opportunity. So today we're pleased to present Penny Falzer. Penny is 74. She lives in Phoenix, Arizona. She loves the heat. And she comes to us from another guest, Betty Rauch, who is episode 102. Penny is a public relations practitioner with well-known clients such as Korean Air. Both her personal life and her professional career have been thrilling. Raised in Beverly Hills, California, Penny knows what it means to fail. Her courage, resilience, and positive attitude help power her through two divorces and losing a baby. Still, she became a crisis communications expert and multinational PR agent respected for her common sense counsel, reputation management, and strategic positioning. Penny, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Well, thank you for having me. This is, this is very exciting for me. <laughs> You're very, very welcome. So uh, there's so many things that we could talk about. You have such a wide variety of, uh, of experiences. And so let's, let's just start till we get some of your background around business. Why uh, public relations and crisis management? Well, um, I graduated with a degree in psychology and went and got a job at public relations agency upon finishing college and it, it just took and I originally was starting out as a promotions person and actually um, we promoted soap on a rope that was shaped like a microphone for people who wanted to sing in the shower <laughs> and all kinds <laughs> of crazy stuff but it was a big agency it was the biggest agency in Phoenix and so they, they it launched me into a career where I have done everything from sports promotion and promoting the Phoenix Open and walking a golf course with Jack Nicholas, who turned to me and said, where do you think I should have that pin placement, Penny? And I said, I couldn't talk. <laughs> I didn't, I couldn't even speak because the question and the person were so big. Mm -hmm. um, and I've done, you know, marathon, I, I promoted marathons and did a lot of sports marketing for Avon. And then I got Korean Air as a client when I was with Ogilvy and Mather. And they were having a lot of plane crashes. And I learned at that point that I can be really, really good at helping people get through traumas. And um, it, was, it was really an interesting situation. And that just jettisoned me into crisis management, especially with um, airlines, 
I've rep, I've repped uh, Southwest Airlines and Korean Air. That sounds fascinating. It is. Uh, and and so crisis management, what what does that entail? You just have to be smart and empathetic and understand how people will react to things. And that's where my psychology came in. I didn't know it. I, I was doing a lot of writing. But my, my psychology came in, but what makes people think and how do you, can you change opinion? So that if there's, here's, it's, a, it's an awful example, but this is how I handled one. Um, the Korean Air crashed a plane and there were two American passport holders. And they, the airline asked me to call the families and let them know that their children were dead. Mm. So wow. I called and I talked to, I asked for the, the, the parents and the parents said, um, so you're calling from Korean Air? And I said, yes, I'm calling to tell you that your son or daughter did not make the survivor list and I'm here to help you. So it was turned to they're not, they just didn't make that list. And, I, and, and immediately having somebody with empathy there to go through the mm -hmm. issue with them to start. It turned out to have a long-term relationship with that, with that family because they kind of, they were wonderful people, but I mean, what a loss. Um, there usually is a loss in crisis management, whether it's a loss in uh, uh, reputation or whether it's a loss of life. Mm -hmm. um, but there is a loss that can affect either the profitability of a company or the reputation of a company or of a person. And uh, I did a lot of political PR as well. So that taught me a lot about uh, crisis management. I can imagine. <laughs> could I ask a question, Penny, when uh, you, you gave a powerful example of, of uh, how you communicated with the family right. and does crisis management also involve uh, working with the, the management, the leadership of the organization? If, if you're very, very lucky and very, if you're lucky, you get to have direct contact with the chairman and the top management of the, of the company. Um, it was Korean Air, and I knew more about this than they did. So they took me. It, it's, it's a very strange relationship with Korean Air because, I mean, I'm a woman, I'm, um, um, and I'm a, not a young woman, and they took me in um, and they just started trusting me. And it was, the management did trust me enormously. And I had a direct contact with the chairman of the company. And that's critical. Mm. Yeah. You, um, when you and I spoke, you, you mentioned that you lost a child. So oh, you had some experience yeah. in that? Well, that, that, that's relative to my attitude. And if I could bottle it, I'd be a gajillionaire because <laughs> For whatever reason, um, my, my friend and I were talking about it. We were saying, oh, yeah, we're both cup full. And I go, I don't even have a cup. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you just, you only have two choices in life. You can change your attitude or change your environment. And most of the time you want to change your attitude. Mm -hmm. I lost a baby to, uh, to uh, it was just, she was very, very sick. Mm -hmm. And we had to terminate the pregnancy. Ah. And it was um, it, it was a, one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Um, I married a guy who I and I got pregnant on the honeymoon. Mm -hmm. And when I got off from the honeymoon, I go, I don't want to be married to him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a baby <laughs> uh, there, and uh, um, 
my brother, this is so typical of men and women. My brother says, oh, you can't have that baby. You're a single woman. You're, you, you're, you have your own company. How will you ever handle having a baby and a company? And I'm like, I don't think that's your choice. That's not my choice. I don't think that that's the choice here. I made the choice to have the baby mm -hmm. because I couldn't take another life. I believe, and I'll get into politics if you want, but I believe that everybody should be able to choose what they want. And that we, as women, these are our bodies. And I decided that, you know what, this wasn't the right, this was, this was really bad and I shouldn't go through with it. And that's why we terminated it. It was one of the smartest decisions I ever made because at that point I knew that I took responsibility for my actions and I was going to take responsibility for my actions until I got a CVS test or some kind of test that said the little neonatal something didn't connect and, you know, the baby would die upon birth. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, yeah, it was really traumatic. It was big, but yeah. what yeah. I learned was that my decision-making was spot on and I liked myself a whole lot better having gone through a trauma myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm sure that informed some of the work that you did later on. Oh, I'm very much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I'm very, uh, I'm very pro choice because I had to make it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it was a good choice that I made. So, uh, T tell us before we get into more of your personal life, because it's really interesting, your personal <laughs> life. <laughs> well, my personal life is, has fed my professional life the whole time. <laughs> tell us a little bit about your current company, uh, Falzer Dean Partners. Falzer Dean and Partners. Um, mm -hmm. I've had three PR agencies, and one was, um, and, and, oh, this is a good story. Um, I started off in PR, and it was Felser, Penny Felzer and Friends. Mm -hmm. And um, I got Merrill Lynch as a client, Merrill Lynch Real Estate. And they said, Penny Felser and Friends? Oh, Penny, you have to be more professional than that. And I went, Ed, you're right. I will. I'm going to change it to Felser and Friends. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. And then we kept on changing it. Anyway, we kept on changing it. The clients that we had were the city of Phoenix, Avon, uh, just big clients, big clients. and. Um, I left. <laughs> I fell in love. Oh. And I left. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I sold my company and I rented out my house and I went to Los Angeles and I went, oh, this is so interesting. I went I went on job interviews having had my own company. Mm -hmm. So and I knew and PR, I'm 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 not very I'm not that confident about a lot of things. I might have some faults as a wife or as a friend, but I have no no doubt how good a PR person I am just because I've been hired away so many times. Mm -hmm. So it's built up confidence. So when I went to Los Angeles and I got interviewed by these people, it was like, wow, this is so weird. At any rate, I went to work for Ogilvy. What, what was weird about it? Well, it was weird because I was trying to fit in. Oh man. I was trying to fit into an, to a couple of organizations and I did one organization and the one, the woman who was my direct report was very threatened by me when, even upon hiring, she said, you know, how do you feel about working with another strong woman? And I go, Oh my God, I've been work, working with strong women all my life. My mentor was a strong woman. And she said, but what about me? And I said, well, we're either going to be 
the greatest team since Laurel and Hardy or we're going to be a complete disaster. But I can't, I don't have the crystal ball. Mm-hmm. Well, we were a disaster. <laughs> and and uh, what, so what made you a disaster, do you think? I think this well, is informative for uh, younger women listening. I think that you have to be who you are and you can't be some, and don't try to fit in somebody else's mode, especially in the creative side of business. Um, you have to, I, my husband told me that rules are only guidelines for the wise and for blind obedience by fools. Mm-hmm. I've incorporated that pretty much into my life. Mm-hmm. I have respect, but rules, you know, I only have 11, the 10 commandments and the golden rule. I mean, that's what we live by. If you live by those 11 rules, you're fine. Right. But when you work for a company and so, and your boss is threatened by you, that's not a good thing. No, uh-uh. that's not a good thing. You have to be yourself. And you know what? If you do what you love every day is a vacation. That's the truth. Every day of my life has been, every day of my business life has been absolutely fascinating. Mm -hmm. It's about curiosity. You know, I'm curious about all this stuff. If you're curious, but let's get back to these younger people. If the younger people want to advance, I think what they really need to do is focus on their passion because you're going to be good at what you're passionate about. For sure. That's right. Find what you love, you know? I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, if you find your passion, you're going to be okay. So where did Falzer, Dean, and Dean and partners come along? Oh, we we had a lot of iterations of the name. We Uh just kept adding names and people will say, who is that? I don't know. Is it somebody from Chicago who's put money into the business? We actually made, made up names. But I came back from Los Angeles and my husband said, can I name on the company too? <laughs> His name is Paul Dean. And I said, sure, we'll call it Felser Dean and Partners. Uh-huh. When I left LA, he was the automotive critic for the Los Angeles Times. Okay. And I left LA and moved back to Phoenix and said, I love you, but I don't want to live in Los Angeles. Whenever you want to come home to Phoenix, you can. And he said, okay. <laughs> so he said, okay. And I moved back to Phoenix and then he asked if his name could at least be on the, on the company. I said, sure. So that's where Felser Dean and Partners happened. But when I was in Los Angeles, Ogilvy and Mather made me, asked me to work on Korean Air. And I said, yeah, that'd be really interesting because I had worked for, on Southwest Airlines for a while. And um, when I left Los Angeles, the Koreans said, we want to go with you to Phoenix hmm. to do all of the PR for Korean Air in America. Nice. And I said, I'll only go if you pay me what you're paying Ogilvy. And they said, okay. (laughs) Good for you. Yeah. Well, like I said, you know, I mean, I know how to do this Uh because I'm passionate about it. I'm melding two things that I find interesting. I love people. When I first interviewed for PR in 1970, my mentor in PR and I said, because I love people. And she said, I'll fix that. (laughs) He never did. <laughs> so Penny, you're leaving me hanging. You you moved back to Phoenix and you told Paul Dean, your husband, to come join you. Did yes. he? Yeah. He well, first he went to Boston and became publisher of a magazine called Rob Report that oh. flew us all over the world because he and had him drive fast cars. And oh, we just had a life. And with between his Rob Report and driving around the world and my Korean Air and flying around the world. We had oh so much fun with 
you know, mm-hmm. Valentine's Day in Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, we would meet in wonderful places. It was fabulous. And then um, he became, um, he, he had, he got old. <laughs> he got old. And then he lost his sight. And oh. then he, uh, yeah, he's had a, a bunch of health issues. I'm as, pri- another thing I do is I'm his primary caregiver. Um, because he can't drive, he can't read, he can't watch a computer. So I'm a primary caregiver. And so how old was he when he lost his sight? About 80. 88, no, 87, 80. Yeah, he's 87 now. So it would have been about 80. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's okay. You know, I mean, you adjust, people have to, adjust, you have to adjust to what you have. I mean, like I say, you only have two choices. <laughs> becomes very apparent when, when things happen. You can change your environment or you can change your attitude. Those are the only two things you really, that I think you really can do. So is it Paul that you married again at 47? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So you had and a previous marriage. You had a three-month fling, you told oh, me. Oh, oh, this is good. This is good. No. Um, my, my first marriage was to in 1972 to a rock and roll disc jockey. And he was a mess. <laughs> So uh, that was eight months of lots of fun, but nah, no. Nah. So rock and roll, eight months. And then I ran away to the U.S. Virgin Islands with a t- at age 40 with a 28-year-old photojournalist. Got married in the territorial court at St. Thomas and went around the Caribbean with him and came home, found out I was pregnant. And that's when I said, I can't live with you. <laughs> and that was an expensive trip. <laughs> And then at 47, um, I was dating a politician in Phoenix and Paul had to do a story, wanted to do a story that would take down the governor. And he called me because I was a good political, um, I I did politics. And um, I set him up with some of my Democratic friends who blah, 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 blah. Anyway, long story short, he got a great story out of it. Legs all over the country. He comes back over here and says, I'm so grateful to you. Can we, can I take you out to dinner? I say, Sure. Los Angeles Times. I'm a PR person. I need to have him. So we went to dinner. He takes me home. He walks me to the door. He kisses me goodnight and says, I've been waiting 18 years to do that. <laughs> that was February 27th, 1992. Uh-huh. By October 1992, I was in Los Angeles. And in 1994, April, we were married. And it was beshared. It was nothing was going to stop the two of us. And it hasn't, even if it is maladies and all of that stuff, long distances. And he went to work in Boston and I was in nothing was going to stop us from being together for the rest of our. (laughs) What is the age difference, Penny? 13 years. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal. It wasn't a big, he wasn't that old when I married him. (laughs) I I understand. (laughs) From personal experience, I get it. Yeah, never are, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what have you learned about successfully living with another person? I mean, what made this different? Do you think um, he was much? He had, he was more well traveled than me. Mm-hmm. He was he he knew more trivia stuff. So my friends would call and say, "What's the what's the uh, what's the floral part of the dime?" And Paul would say, oh, it's that little laurel branch on the back. (laughs) I mean, he was just brilliant that way. He is still brilliant that way. Um, 
what made me stop? I stopped because I found that I had met my match. Or, yeah, I mean, somebody who I respected enough not to, you know, women in business and women in power, it's very difficult to establish relationships with men because they're for any number of reasons, um, most of most of which is intimidation. But he wasn't intimidated by me at all. <laughs> he just came after me like a whatever. I don't know. It was a year and a half, and we were married. <laughs> that nice was thirty story. years. That's almost thirty years ago. Yeah, very nice story. Isn't that good? <laughs> you know, you um, you you're seventy four, and. Paul, it is Paul, right? Right. Paul is 87. And right. so I'm wondering, you know, what, how are you thinking about aging for yourself, for your future? What Are you thinking about it at all? No, what? I'm not thinking about aging at all. He is. In fact, I was talking to one of my, the same girlfriend this morning saying, you know, Paul is really afraid of dying. And he's 87. And I get that, I guess. I'm not afraid of dying. I want to live well. I don't, I'm not necessarily interested in living long. I've lived a lot longer than I ever thought. I always thought I was going to be gone at 30. I mean, I was living on the edge. If you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much, too much space. That's how I figured life then. Mm-hmm. And then I just all of a sudden, whoa, I'm 70. Oh, whoa, I'm 74. <laughs> what the, what, how did this happen? Um, I, I, and Paul enjoys my spunk. So mm-hmm. that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, he grounds me. And, and you know, the fact that I'm a caregiver, it's, I have to be really responsible and, and know when I have to get pills and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, what, you know, when people get older, they lose their relevance. No, when people get older, they can lose their relevance because, the, I mean, they just can, you know that. And um, I, be, I have kept my relevance primarily because I'm really curious about stuff. But more importantly, I've, I've shifted my the, the goals to being, okay, I want to make sure my relevance to Paul is really, really important because it's life or death. And my relevance to Korean Air is really, really important because they want a certain thing to be achieved. And I'm probably one of the few people that can do that for them. And my relevance to all of my girlfriends. And then my relevance to my mentees. And I have four right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's how I stay relevant. And you you talked about purpose. Oh, yeah. That's that's the other part of going getting older. You lose your purpose. I mean, if you're a doctor and you retire, if you're a mother, if your kids move out, what is your purpose now? So I blurted out to one of my friends the other day, and it made sense to me. I said, you know, my sole purpose in life is to be happy and to make those people around me happy. Mm-hmm. And I derive happiness from a lot of different ways. I mean, if I do a job really well, I am happy. And if my husband is happy, I'm happy. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's important to me. It used to be I wanted to have fun. But in dealing with, I have a 97-year-old stepmother who I'm responsible for as well. She's in, a, she's in a, a assisted living, but I have taken, I'm her power of attorney. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I watch her and I, you know, I can take a lot of cues on growing older from my husband and from her and a lot of cues of what I don't want to do. So tell us Say what's more about what you don't want to do. I don't, 
I don't want to become jaded. I don't want to become bored. I've never been bored, but I don't want to become bored. Um, I don't want to become irrelevant somewhat, but I'm not, I don't think I'll ever become irrelevant because I'm too curious about people. Um, there's a whole lot that I don't, I mean, there's not a whole lot that I don't want to become because remember, I don't have that glass. <laughs> so it's not full or half empty. <laughs> I don't understand that. Can you explain that to me, Penny? That What's you don't that? Have, that you oh, don't I don't have, have any constrictions. I mean, um, you know, the glass, the glass is half full um, and you're an optimist. A glass is half empty the way you look at it. If you're a pessimist, for me, I'm just, you know, whatever happens with that glass is just fine with me. I'll figure it out. Mm, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't really, I don't really even see the glass. Yes. You're just living your life and whatever comes your way, you're, you're managing it. And I'm managing it. And you know, I mean, what else are the, I get back to my two options. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, yeah, I could leave my husband. It, this is tough. You know, this isn't, this isn't the easiest gig I've ever done. Why would I do that? Do you know the karma that would come down on me? <laughs> mm -hmm. ugh, ugh, I wouldn't want to think about that. And so how do you have fun now? Because fun seems to, bet to be a, a really important theme in your life. Um, I love to play in my garden. I love to cook. I love Korean air and I love working with them. I love my husband and enjoying things with him. Like we, during the pandemic, we started, we, got, we took all the James Bond movies from the, and he chronologically is watching them. Um, I got a little bored and I got a little offended by the way women are treated in those movies. And I just, it was a whole different set of rules then. And oh my God, <laughs> that was interesting. How do I have fun? I have fun doing nothing. <laughs> yeah, I have fun doing nothing. I don't, but, but I love to cook and I love to garden and I love to work. Mm -hmm. But again, remember what I said, if you find your passion, and get to make money at it, it's not work. Yeah, right. right. So did you, you have, uh, clearly you have a lot of confidence. And I, so I'm wondering, did you grow up in a family that supported you that way, uh, emotionally, yeah. intelligently? No, it's really interesting that, that you asked that. My dad did, my dad was adorable. Um, my mother didn't like me. <laughs> she was, every time my dad, my mom was a brilliant, beautiful woman. She did the best she could. I've forgiven her. I had a lot of therapy that got me through all of the, to get me to where I am today. And I, yeah, I, I've had, and I, you know, I mean, I've graduated. <laughs> Everyone's, yeah, I, I graduated therapy to get me to be confident because I was the black sheep of the family. Betty Rouch will tell you, should um, Gail, that, um, I was the black sheep. I was the one who just wanted to have fun, get through school. And then I found my passion in PR. And like I say, I mean, I've worked in New York, Los Angeles, uh, San Francisco, and in Seoul. And it's just uh, where, you know, you, 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 that's how you have to. Life is so short, you guys. It is so short. What I would tell young people is 
Go for what you think is interesting and fun and that will give you satisfaction because as we know through going through COVID, things can change in a day. And if you do any, do you guys meditate? I meditate, so I do a lot of present moment living. Mm-hmm. And that might have, might, you know, have helped me through this because um, meditation is fun. Mm-hmm. What is it you like about it? I like about it that I uncover things that I'm, that I, that I'm, when I'm meditating, I uncover things that I don't even know that I'm thinking about. And they pop up. <laughs> go, oh, is that really bothering me? <laughs> so tell us, tell us what your, your mode of meditating is. How, how do you do that? I sit in a chair and I listen to calm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love calm and I love uh, Tara. And um, I listen to the insight, um, insight timer. So I do it just sitting and listening to these people who tell me how to deal with anxiety and all that good stuff that we deal with every day mm-hmm. and breathing. And, you know, I mean, all of us, like, like I told you, I have had the same stuff happen to me that every, I've had awful things happen to me. I've really mm-hmm. awful things. Mm-hmm. But again, if you can find the things that are strong on the, I mean, the baby was made me feel stronger and the divorces made me feel clearer about what I wanted. And, you know, I mean, I've never been fired, but I have been asked to leave. (laughs) (laughs) How do you explain the difference? (laughs) Well, yeah, I do explain it this way. At 22, I was hired as a public relations director for a grocery chain here. And I, brought in all kinds of ideas and, la, 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 and, and connections and publications. And, but I was always late <laughs> and I would park in the wrong place and I was not following the rules. And um, the president called me in, who was a friend, was a client when I was working at another agency, said, Penny, I've got to fire you. I've got to let you go. I said, you can't let me go. I'm doing great stuff. <laughs> I don't know where I got the chutzpah, I'm telling you, but you can't let me go. I'm doing great stuff. He says, I, and I went, blah, 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 blah. this is all the stuff I'm doing. He goes, okay, Penny, I'm not going to fire you, but will you please find another job? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, I just don't know where I got it. It was my mom was strong. My dad was a sweetheart. and uh, But my mom, she just didn't know how to deal with me for sure. And when when did that start, Penny, in, in the family? Just I'm I'm, I'm interest, always interested in how the black sheep. When did you realize that that's your that was your place in the family? When Betty told me. Oh, I see. <laughs> no, I know. Um, I'll tell you. My brother went to Berkeley. Betty went to Wellesley. My other cousin went to Mills. My mother said, "Why can't you be like your cousins?" And I said, "I don't know. I'm going to Arizona." <laughs> So it must have started long before that. It probably started, uh, I was starting being the black sheep probably in my teens, no question about it. Uh-huh. Um, I never did drugs. I didn't drink. I just was, you know, headstrong. Irreverent. Oh, totally. <laughs> and I'm still irreverent. I mean, I show respect when it's, when it's appropriate. I mean, I'm not rude, but mm-hmm. I certainly um, don't, uh, you know, a position doesn't make me deal with respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I have manners, but that's a whole nother thing. 
Interesting. Fun, huh? <laughs> you know, I was just, I was, uh, I'm taking a, a class uh, online and um, today we were, they were talking about resilience and failure as uh, failure is only information, it's feedback. And you strike me as being an incredibly resilient person. Um, I am. And, what, and yeah. when you talk about failure, I, um, failure, I go into some, it's like I go into a hospital thinking I know where I'm going. <laughs> And without asking any questions, I, I, I have failed. Of course, we all fail. But every time I fail, I go, how did that happen? I mean, I just am so surprised that it didn't work. Um, and then, I, you know, you learn from your failures. You don't learn that, that much from your successes, but you sure learn from your failures. And um, I did. The resilience comes because of the present moment, the things, look at, I have, can't tell you how many times I've told my friends, this is going to be a radar screen. So a ra uh, this is going to be a blip on the radar screen of your life. Mm -hmm. And it usually is. Mm -hmm. Sure. Those everyday annoyances, those, uh, those things usually are just blips. <laughs> yes. And I say, if you can get in front of those blips and know that they will become blips, then you deal with them. Then you deal with them differently. That's where resilience comes in. Mm, I like that. Yes. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So uh, what would you like our listeners to know about life as you age? And uh, tell us a little bit more about you're thinking on in that area. I just think that I've always said that age—you know—it's trite. My husband will say, "Oh, that's trite and overused." Um, age is a number, and old is an attitude. Mm -hmm. I really believe that because I see people my age, and they've—they've said—they've given up. They don't. I mean, I've seen people my age who are. Um, not happy with their lives and they wish they had oh this is really important um then as as you get older the fewer i wish i hads that you have the happier life will be don't have don't leave with uh, don't go through life with a bunch of i wish i had i wish i had don't do that <laughs> young people don't do that <laughs> Really, don't have a bunch of I wish I has because you're going to be mm -hmm. sick when you, when you, as you get older. Right. And no woulda, shoulda, couldas. As no woulda, shoulda, couldas. Don't know I wish I had. No, 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 no. Those are not good. <laughs> <laughs> and one more thing about growing old, and this is what I'm working on myself, is I really believe that the, um, the ability to accept loss has a direct correlation to your happiness as you age. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now I'm working on how can I make loss more acceptable to me? What, what do you think are some of the ways you might do that? Well, <laughs> I think you have to turn it around. I mean, when you say, you know, okay, I'm losing or, or oh, I go for, for months, you no, know, for a while I was going, oh God, my arms are getting saggy. I'm losing my resilience in my arms. Oh, I can't show my arms because I'll be embarrassed, right? <laughs> I've gotten over that. <laughs> I'm 74. I can do that now. <laughs> you can have saggy arms. So there. 
<laughs> too bad. If you're looking at my arms, you're missing the whole point. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, Penny, this has been great. It's wonderful to talk with you. We appreciate all your insights. And uh, thanks so much for being with us. Well, I hope people will enjoy this and also gain some happiness from it because, you know, that's my sole purpose. I think they will. Thank you, Penny. And listeners, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Become an active participant in our community through our Facebook group. And no matter your age, participate in our monthly Zoom gatherings. You'll find everything you need to know about Women Over 70 community on womenover70.com. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myth that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.